Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Wake podcast. I'm Alex and I'm joined by Bruno. Good to see you again. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. On the bevs slightly, so I can't complain. And then obviously the weekend's game. I mean, that was something with net. Mm, yeah, uh, I think I saw it was the lowest amount of possession we've had and won a game since that famed City game with Andros's screamer. So definitely one for the ages. Um, and a complete turnaround from Tuesday, which seemed pretty hopeless. Uh, it was a horrific performance. Obviously, we're injury depleted, but it's a brilliant, brilliant comeback. Um gives Roy a nice little stat to cling on to and makes Parrish return to social media. So I'd say all in all, an excellent weekend. Uh, for sure. I mean, I, that stats just kind of reminded me of the year when Schlupp was actually quite a good option off the bench or just even in the yeah. now and again. Those are the days. Those are the days, you know. Gyro will be very happy, of course, because not only did he have an absolutely great game on Tuesday, but he no longer gets to make all the fat jokes on Twitter. So someone's balling out. Um, let's actually go chronologically. We were going to discuss Fulham and we very promptly decided what's the point, because it's probably the most solid 0-0 we've ever seen. And I think it's in Since no the last interest. Fulham 0-0. Well, of room. course. Let, let's let's not forget that one. That was when Anderson bullied Benteke. I remember that game. Yeah. That was, uh, that was when we first, as a fan base, really got to learn what he was about, I think. Um and uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to discuss the Great Dane in more detail. But as always, I think one of the things we're trying to achieve with this pod is to kind of steer away from game-by-game plays, even if the context they add is important, and really just focus on the issues that people are talking about. And I think we we not be doing this pod justice if we didn't address some of the discontent in the fan base, because it seems to have reached fever pitch, almost like kind of a new level that we haven't really seen. The stickers are out and about. I've seen them in Manchester. Like there's uh, There's been a fresh push to really... Um, let it be known publicly that the fan base just seems to be very kind of unhappy with, I suppose, the stagnation that they're seeing at the club and that sort of lack of ambition or long-term strategy that the board is showing. Um, again, I don't want to kind of tread and scattergun here because I think it's important we do look at the the games in Manchester as well um, because it's very much, you know, a tale of two games in terms of the results we've seen. You know, I was there for the first game. I couldn't go to both and I picked the first one. And I fucked it. I really fucked it. I mean, to be fair, there's no such thing as a bad game, but I don't really actually regret it. But, you know, I'd be lying if I said I, I was a bit jealous not to have been there for uh, for Saturday's game. But, Bruno, I want to hand over to you because obviously I think we need to start by looking at the fan base itself before we even look at the games and the sort of mood of coming into the this sort of double header in Manchester, you know, these back-to-back games at Old Trafford. I mean, how are you feeling at the moment personally about the club? And do you think what you're seeing on social media or the kind of zeitgeist at the moment is, is justified? I think there's definitely um, an element of validity to the concerns that the fan base online seem to have. Um, but at the same time, the club is in a point of transition, but it isn't as obvious as I think it could be. So I think people thought after, you know, Vieira's first season, we're going to kick on with the same sort of spending, the same um, sort of development, when in reality, I think Parrish's plan is a lot more long-term. So that first season um, under Vieira was about um, completely overhauling the squad from old and aging to young, uh, and then we tried to implement a style of play, which didn't end up working out. So we brought back Roy to establish stability and we didn't have options. I have my own grievances about that uh, whole process. But we're now in this kind of strange position where we haven't been able to build on performances. We haven't had a strong second season like we would have liked, um, which would have allowed us to invest more um, 
invest furtherly. And now we're in this position where we can't really sign new players, but our academy, which was completed in 2020 in terms of category um, one status, isn't ready to start giving us first team uh, prospects. Now, I'm going to reference Brighton because this is a club that obviously uh, we have a lovely uh, relationship with. Um, uh, but they're also about a decade ahead of us in terms of infrastructure. So they had um, the Amex sta- Stadium um, built you know, years ago now. They were playing in it before their promotion to the Premier League. Whilst we're still in Selhurst, a 110-year-old stadium. Um, and... We're not talking about a new stadium. We're talking about a new, a redeveloped stand. So they're ahead of us on that front. And they also reached category one status about five, six years before us. So they've got that head start. And now they're seeing players like Evan Ferguson, Robert Sanchez, etc., come through their academy and have success in the Premier League. And we're behind them. And going by that sort of same timeline, we've still got two to three years to go until we see our academy players starting regularly in the Premier, in the Premier League. And that's being reflected on the pitch. We saw on Tuesday, Jesmyn Raksaki really struggled. And obviously away at Old Trafford is a terrible place to be given some minutes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but depth and or lack thereof made it um, made the circumstances so. But I think Jesmyn sort of, he's not ready for the Premier League yet. He's not got the same sort of muscle. Um, and I think we've got a few years to go until players like him... Teo Adramola and even David Oso, who's more along in that sort of development, um, can become, uh, you know, big hitters and starters for us in the Premier League. But it's not all doom and gloom. You know, we're in this weird lull point where there isn't much to be excited about. And then it feels like you're standing still. But I think I don't want to just be misguided in my optimism, but I think in about a year or so's time, once Roy um, <laughs> leaves for good and we bring in a new manager, and we will. We can't stick with Roy forever. That's the reality. Once we're oh, in a new manager, we, we keep him for twenty years if, if if we could at least. Not, I'm not saying I would back that. I'm just saying the board would. You know, yeah, I don't think his heart are. would yeah. back that. But um, we're looking at what McKenna, uh, Vipswich, and uh, Fonseca. Uta of and oh. Fonseca. Those are the three that we've heard. Oh, I, I I missed uh, Eddie Uta. Did he did he come onto the scene lately? Um, not recently, but there were rumors of him in the summer, and we've we have yeah. talked. Oh, to I him. remember so that. Yeah, him, McKenna, and Fonseca, are the three younger managers with a with a style of football that we'd be looking to appoint. Uh, and if we can get one of those three next season, that's when we'd see more investment, like what the fans are expecting. And that season is crucial for our academy players because this season it's been halted halted because of injuries but Raksaki will go out and loan and i think Adramola will as well in january we'll see the two of them go out and next season we'll see them start to get phased in we won't sign a left back next season i think we'll just use Adramola as a consistent backup for Mitchell um and it'll be interesting to see how Abue and Raksaki duel it out but i think this is the season where we finally see the the ends of the Jordan Ayus, the Jeffrey Schlapps, the James Tompkins. I don't think they'll get renewed beyond this season. Joel Ward, I think, might have another year left in him uh, because he's such an experienced um, member of the club and he's obviously a huge part of it. And club um, captain, of course. I think it's yeah. quite hard to shift that influence easily. And I think even if yeah. it's just part of the furniture, you know, for the sake of it, I think we'll keep him there for his off-pitch presence. Yeah. But, you know, you know, carry on, you're totally right. Well, he locked up Rashford on Saturday, so he's not past it yet. Um, no, no, for sure. We'll he definitely has the odd great game. Yeah, he's got, yeah. he's got the he's got the odd great game in him. Uh, Ward, 
when players go to his strengths because he's so dominant in the air for a fullback and defensively pretty solid. It's just his lack of pace that can catch him out. But if you're playing a low block, it's not much of an issue anyway. But yeah, I think fans, it's understandable that fans have a lot of concerns because we're a very opaque club when it comes to communication. We don't like to be that transparent in terms of our plan or our goals. And it does feel like the amount of... uh, I'm going to say inverted commas, PR that comes out depending on our results is a little bit suspect at times. You know, we saw documentaries with Vieira and um, pretty much nothing since Roy's come in. But I think once we have another project to get behind, that's already a huge boost to the fan um, morale. And I think results will follow. This season um, is about getting a top 10 finish with a squad that is reduced, but we've got players like Franza who will come back. We've got Elise who will come back. We've got so many players are out through injury, but will return. Even Nathan Ferguson, man, like if he's fit even for a couple of games, even for a couple of games, the option that he gives us, you know, as as a young player. No, but serious. No, 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 no. Even if you're joking, to be honest, serious or not, I was just going to say, like, you joke, but Roy Hodgson even made this point, Bruno. Like, I actually think you're onto something there because Roy Hodgson said, you know, he's had this, obviously, this terrific terrifically horrible run of injury um he's mm. suffered in terms of confidence minutes on the pitch fitness you name it but there's a player in there we've seen it we know what he could be capable of we've seen the potential it's years ago i know but he's still what 23 22 22 so he's not even 23 he's literally well, i'll admit he turns 23 in about a week okay so he's still very much a young player with a ceiling to hit and mm. a few years ago before he gets there like this isn't a write-off you know this is someone who even just today, is it today? Oh, yes, I can't remember exactly when the game today. Was, he's, he's in the squad. Today. Yeah, he's in the squad. He made the bench for the under 23s. So. And played a good 30 minutes, too. Oh, good. I didn't, I, I don't actually follow the youth teams like you do, but very good to hear that. And, you know, this is obviously something that's been talked about before. And every step of the way, there's a setback normally at the end. But, you know, this is again the the kind of uh, the resuscitation of his career again, where he starts to get minutes yeah. in the tank. Um, you know, there, there's a squad of potential, there's a squad that's growing. There is still that long term project kind of almost like mm. an undercurrent that we don't really see or talk about. You know, there is somewhat of a plan, but actually getting there is going to be bloody difficult because there's so many expensive blockers and things in the way. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, I want to I want to just, you know, ask you one thing because it's kind of chimed with me. Now, I'm very unhappy with this, with the state of the club and the way it's being run, the board and so on. I don't really disagree with that camp at all. In fact, I, I'd probably sort of tentatively count myself among them. But I saw a really good point raised by one fan, which was that, you know, just Brighton's kind of short-term success say over the last three years does that success exacerbate the anger does that really hold a mirror up to us is it something that is kind of you know if you take Brighton's success away are we going to be as dissatisfied as we are now what do you think of that idea yeah without a doubt I think seeing our rivals who are promoted after us outperform us in terms of performance and in the league and reach the goal that we seem to have spent our entire time in the Premier League hoping for of Europe yeah, no wonder. Like, of course, we're going to be um, forlorn about that and feel demotivated by it, especially when you take a step like moving from a progressive young manager with a plan to someone like Roy Hodgson, who, without a doubt, has been absolutely fantastic for us. Um, but you do feel with a manager of his um, style and reputation, um, you're getting less of a project and more of a short-term thing. And with Brighton, you're seeing you know, players leaving them and then they replace them immediately. And you're seeing a manager leave and then they replace them with someone who seems to get even better results. Um, 
and we seem to take a step back um, instead of, you know, we went back to our old manager when they go Vieira and we haven't sold and we haven't replaced really. Um, and I worry, my main points of worry actually aren't really about our lack of investment as much as they are due to the, like the timing of it. Um, because uh, who was it? I think Roy Hodgson came out and said that we missed out on two players who seemed almost certain to join the club, which was probably Lewis Hall on loan and Eka TK on deadline day. Um, which means those are two players we should have had in our squad this season, but didn't. Uh, but it's also players that would have had a huge role to play in our rebuild. Uh, and this means that next summer, we're going to have to let players go and we're going to have to um, sign a lot of players at once, akin to 2021. But there's going to be less of a phase in. Uh, I don't think there'll be as much fluidity in that transition. It could be like hitting hitting the ground hard like Forrest did last year when they signed you know 30 players in a window and had a pretty crap start to the league. So that's my main area of concern. It's not about whether or not the board will invest. I think they will. I just think not getting some of those deals in this window might hit us um, onto the back foot a little bit. Certainly in the medium term, I think you're making a good point here, which is that it feels like we've shunted our plans by a year. We've kind of kicked everything down the yeah. road, basically yeah. out of panic and fear and an inability to necessarily secure the squad we'd like. But, you know, I kind of want to end on an optimistic note just on this this sort of wider point here before we, we sort of seize out these debates via the games. And again, I won't dwell on the games themselves too much because I think that's not really why we're here. Um, but, you know, Gary and Anderson lately, and we'll get on to the latter, um, you know, they look like... I think they genuinely walk, other than Arsenal and City, I think they walk into any team in the league at the moment. I think their form has been phenomenal. I'm sure there's probably a team I'm missing that you'll come back to me on, but they, they've looked genuinely stunning. I think Anderson is the highest rated centre-back in Europe's top five leagues at the moment, based on like sofa score stats. Now, that, I take that with a pinch of salt because that's not everything, but his defensive acumen's really improved. His ball-playing ability is already well-documented as phenomenal. He's scoring goals now. Just to add, just just to add to it, you know, who who even needs that award anyway? An inform Edward, forget that, you know. Go on, you've done your bit, Edward, for a few games. Go on, go to the treatment table. Just chill out, just chill out. Anderson's got this enough. It's like he's stepped up brilliantly. Um, obviously his goal scoring is not his job, but you know our defense is solid. Our spine, you know, when Lerma's fit, I, I again said that Takore and Lerma is having almost like the same impact that um, Bryce and Suchak had when they first became a pair at West Ham. You know, they completely transformed the team and formed mm. quite literally the basis both on the actual pitch itself and in terms of the, the medium term strategy for, for the club's success. You know, that that sort of pairing, I mean, I'm not saying they're both, as, I mean, Bryce isn't there obviously now and, and Suchak is not quite what he used to be. But when they first came in, it, it really made West Ham look competitive and really pushed them into the top half. You know, they look like such a strong team and you know, you move forward, like you say, France is coming back, Elise is coming back. You know, these are good attacking options. Ayu has impressed thoroughly and Edouard's coming mm-hmm. into form, not to least Matata himself, who, even if he's not scoring, he's doing everything else, you know. I love him. Bullying, winning. Did you, did you see the stats against um, Man United as well? With the I didn't, but I, the eye test told me he was incredible. Again, this is why I say about Sofa, like Sofa score stats, because his overall rating was 6.4, but he won a phenomenal, I can't remember exactly how many, but a phenomenal number of duels. Um, he was, you know, he bullied them. He really defensively marshaled yeah. the team excellently when we were against, you know, against the wall. And there's so many positives to take individually in this team. And you can still see it clicking well under Roy, which is one thing that I think Vieira deservedly was sacked for because, you know, there was, if there was one thing he couldn't get right, it was A, any kind of offensive, offensive fluidity and also just getting the team to actually play to their strengths, you know. 
he selected underperforming players and kind of shoehorn people in. Now, we've already talked about Vieira, what feels like eons ago now, God bless him. But, um, you know, it, there are a lot of positives to take in terms of where we could go. And I think even the fans themselves, we, we understand this, you know, we can see that there's some really strong building blocks in place. Yeah. But we just can't see any evidence of this final push to take it to the next level, the famous next level that Steve Parrish once <laughs> put out there into the public. It's a, it's a great fanfare. Um, you know, it, it's something that's incredibly frustrating. And I, I don't have any criticisms for fans that are really sceptical about the boards and mm. where their interests lie. But I still think that the best is yet to come from this team and we'll ultimately have to see what the board does next. Um, I think moving on, obviously drawing Man United twice in the space of a week, in fact, five days to you know Old Trafford is always going to be a, a bit of a nightmare in terms of getting up there and back and obviously the fatigue of the squad and then the intensity of it all. And you know, not to mention the, the squad's injuries. You know, we're looking at a really tough test and a test of character for this team in terms of our depth and our own ability to kind of uh, to persevere. I mean, what did you think of like the kind of not the logistics? It's not quite the right word, but the practicalities of, of facing the same team twice in such a short space of time and knowing that it would be such a tough test. Well, it was a horrific draw um, in the Carabao Cup to get the same trip in the space of a week to United no less but the holders of course yeah the holders um we were really really poor on Tuesday and if I'm honest going by past performances under Roy I didn't have much faith in us going on to Saturday you know if you'll remember that horrific Covid struck season when we got battered 7-0 by Liverpool at home and then went on to get embarrassed by a 10-man Villa side I wasn't feeling so optimistic ahead of United phase two because um, I don't know if we're as much of a bounce back team. I don't know if we're mentality monsters like you see at teams like Brentford um, where they genuinely have a huge team mentality. You know, they come sprinting out the touchline together. Maybe I find it a little bit um, over the top of times. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, if you're doing that for a purpose to just you know, screw with people, that's going to make you feel more like a team anyway. So going aside from that tangent, I think we showed real togetherness on Saturday. Um, and there wasn't a trace of it really on Tuesday, but um, that was a proper Palace performance. You know, we dug in and stuck together. I haven't seen our back line work that coherently since the early Vieira days, I don't think. Like the way Gay and Anderson cover for each other is incredible. They are, I'm not going to argue with you, the best centre-back they're top three best centre-back pairings in the league um definitely the best outside the big six um I'm sorry Botman and uh Cher but I personally think Anderson Gay if they had that Newcastle team around them would have a much better defensive record no 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 for sure for sure I don't want to sound like a mental biased Palace fan either like Gay and and Anderson just perfectly complement each other in that Gay can cover for Anderson's uh lack of pace um and Anderson wins airily what Mark can't. Uh, Mark's strong in the tackle, whilst Anderson's a little bit less strong in it, whilst Anderson can intercept things better than Mark can. Like, they they just complement each other. The only flaw, and I think, in that back line is one that'll get fixed up next season, which is the fact, the sort of pace disparity on the right-hand side with uh, Warden Anderson. But like we saw on Saturday, it can work. It can really, really work, um, especially yeah. in the low block where they're not getting exploited as much. And that's and why Anderson course, performs against the big teams so much. 
Yeah, yeah. And of course, you see Ward dropping in at centre-half in a, in a kind of three in transition as well. You know, when we push Tyreek up more, we deliberately waited yeah. on the left in terms of our attack. So Tyreek, obviously, yeah. we push up as our, as our more attacking-minded fullback. And, you know, it, it's really clear that, you know, the squ- analysts and, and coaches aren't stupid. You know, they're, they're full-time played professionals. And I think we do forget this sometimes as fans. You know, they do see these things. They are paid very good money to spot and work on these things. They don't get it right all the time. They don't pick up everything. They don't even if they pick, even if they pick something up, like you know, it, it, it's it's always impossible to get everything right. Like bottom line, but you know there are there are some obviously some some glaring issues. Not least in terms of Jeff Schlepp, some of the other performances all season. I mean, you could argue who else do you put in there, but you know, I think if if you're going to progress tactically, you need the right personnel. We don't always have that available. Not least in the midst of an injury crisis, and you know, for all his weaknesses, I think Schlepp, at a personal level, I do feel good because. He gets a lot of abuse. I've even called him out sometimes and made jokes about him. It's not really fair or funny deep down. It's uh, He's given us a lot. He's had good moments. He, of course, pops up with goals now and again. I think he's best off the bench. I think that's where his place is when he can run at tired legs. But more or less, I think, you know, he, he's seen a lot of loyalty from managers in the past when he's been underperforming. What do you make of how we address Schlepp himself as a problem at the moment on that left side? Well, I've always been a huge fan of Schlepp. Um, I think... Well, the way we saw him used by Vieira at times was the best we got out of him. You know, he became a player that could drive the ball up the pitch, um, transition us from defence to attack in a side that struggled to counter at times without him. Um, and he was a rare flash of pace in a team that didn't have much of it. Uh, but now it seems he's lost a lot of that pace. He's lost a lot of that drive and a lot of, and a lot of the willingness to go forward. There was a time uh, on Tuesday where I saw you know, Jeff pick up the ball and just stand still and then try and pass backwards. And this is a trend this season is um, I'm seeing a lot less forward thinking from him. And the contrast was apparent when Gyro picked up the ball in a similar position and just ran with it. And it gave us one of our most exciting attacks of that game. If you were there, you'll remember it because it would have spurred you on. Like, I think, I don't know what it is, but he seems to have just lost a will to run uh, and a will to track his man. And I don't want to call the player out for being lazy. Um, you can. But you can. And <laughs> I think can. if I was a professional footballer on the sort of money that these guys are on, and I was playing in the Premier League or in the Carabao Cup for Crystal Palace, I would feel ashamed if I was giving that sort of effort week in, week out. And I know he's in that position because we have been absolutely ravaged by injuries, but I still think there's a way around it because at the start of the season, we absolutely could have done a front three of Edward, Mateta, um, IU, then had, um, you know, Hughes, Decore, Lerma and Eze to pick from in and amongst that. I'm not really, um, I have absolutely no idea why Jeff has been playing. So in terms of how to solve it, I think when players come back, we may... We may see him drop to the bench, a place where he will have a much more positive impact um, on the team from. With France, France will get phased in. He won't get started immediately. But I think when Alise comes in and Edward's back, all of a sudden you've got, you know, four quality players to make up that front three. And you've got options on the bench ahead of Schlupp as an attacker. And Schlupp in midfield uh, off the bench um, will revert back to the player we saw in 21-22 and previously um, with so much attacking drive and energy in comparison to everybody else. So I think once the injuries are back, we'll see him 
return to you know Premier League level performances, and I don't think we can fault him um, for his poor performances due to him being played out of position. I think we can fault whoever's making the decision to play him at the moment, but at the same time, it's hard for injuries. To be fair, I mean, my only comments is that I'm not even sure what his best position is now. I think I think we're past the days when he was a left back. I, I, my issue is obviously the centre mid row onto Vieira. He was terrible. It was a big reason why Vieira's sort of tactical setup crumbled. In the second season, for sure. The first season, less so. Yeah, no, no, agreed as well. Like he, he definitely like he's definitely had good flashes as well. Um, I think off the bench, even in the last United game, um, at Old Trafford, when he scored. I think that was just at the top of the iceberg of a very similar pattern of performances where he comes off, he has the the energy, he has the advantage over his man, he gets more offensively minded. I think he has yeah. the energy to keep up with the game, but you could see it. It was so visible at Old Trafford when I was there on, on the, for the Carabao Cup game. Like he just he just wasn't tracking back. He wasn't marking his man. He wasn't doing some of the basic obligations that he would have in a, in a, in a deeper lying midfield role, whether he's on the wing or not. It doesn't matter. You know, we're not. He's not Neymar. We're not playing him right up the top. You know, against. Stade de Bostoir or whatever, you know, yeah. we're playing him in a, in a very much a kind of left midfield position. Um, I want to also talk about Tyro because fair play, I've criticised him, particularly last season, I didn't think he was so good. Um, he's even struggled early on this season, but for the last couple of weeks, probably months even, he's been phenomenal again. He seems to really have up the ante in terms of his ball winning ability, his interceptions, even his ability to drive forward, which to be fair, always could use a bit more work, but you know, he's never been too shoddy at that, particularly for someone whose first you know, instinct isn't necessary to attack. What do you think of him this season? And how did you find him in both Manchester games? Uh, I think my sole criticism of Mitchell um, over the last two, three years has been his ball-playing ability. And I think he's improved on it massively. We saw at the start of the um, start of last season, we saw him put in some really good performances offensively, which then dropped off post the Manchester City collapsed, the 4-2. Um, but this year, he seems to have hit the same vein of form he had at the start of last season. Uh, and I thought in both Manchester games, he was by no means one of the worst players on the pitch. Like, he put in strong performances, um, aided the um, the back line in both, and obviously had an incredible um, clearance, saving us a goal, uh, saving us from conceding a goal um, early on on Saturday. So, yeah, Ty has been... Rock solid this season. Um, I think a lot of the criticism he gets stems from the fact that the poor guy hasn't been rested in two years. And we are, I think, reluctant to buy a backup to him because of the promise that we, um, the belief that we have in Teatro Mano and the promise that he'll come good for us. Because um, it just wouldn't make sense, which is why we try to loan uh, Lewis Holland because he would provide depth uh, on the left-hand side of the pitch, both either in centre mid or at left-back. Right, we could afford to drop Mitchell. So I think once he has Teo behind him, who's now coming back to fitness, he played today. Um we'll see him become even better. And as he grows as a Premier League footballer and keeps putting in performances like this against big teams, he he is on his day a great left back, you know, a top, top left back, not the best in the league because he's not got the best ball playing ability. But if he can work on that and keep the the ambition that he has at left back. He's so, he wants that, God, he wins that ball so much, but like, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just, he works for the team so in a way much. that, yeah. yeah, he works for the team in a way I've not seen Jeff Schlupp do for a long time. And that's mm. why I love him as a footballer. Well, even if we've not seen him at this role for some time now, or ironically it was Roy that played him there for a short spell, Yaro Riedewald is one of those players that, again, always seems to be the forgotten man at the club. He goes through long spells, occasionally he will sort of come back and then he'll be forgotten again. 
But he's yeah. made appearances in both games, and not least, uh, probably a man of the match performance in the Carabao Cup. He was very much a, a redeeming light there. And then again, got some minutes in the Premier League um, fixture just to wrap things up. I mean, for someone who I think is is used to not playing football for a long period of time, you know, regularly, he looked incredibly sharp. He was winning balls that you wouldn't believe. He was able to progress play. I'm not saying his all round game was perfect, but he certainly looked like a very competent centre mid who has a role to play at this club. You know, he signed a long-term contract a few years ago, right as he then dropped out of the team again. And uh, again, I really don't think his time is done. I don't think he even believes his time is done. I think he's happy to be here in whatever mm-hmm. role the club sees him. But where do you see see Yaira coming in? Is he is he our short-term left-back kind of cover? Is he is he something more, perhaps, another midfield option? Where, where do you see him fitting in, both in the, in the short-term and the long-term? I think he's a really good midfield option to have. Um, I think he brings a lot of calmness and technical ability on the ball which we don't really see in our current midfielders because they're quite tackle driven you know Decore, Lerma, Hughes um, their style of football is about nicking a ball away from someone and playing it off to a winger whilst I think Jairo isn't afraid to be the heart of a team be you know dictating the tempo uh, and be a bit flashy with his passes and that comes from his Ajax upbringing Uh, and I think he's the victim of the way his footballing career began and that he started off in defense and he started off centrally and never really had the mobility uh, or pace or agility that you want from a midfielder, even if that's where in the Premier League, his technical um, abilities are best suited. So I think Gyro won't ever be a player that starts for us because he's just not got that pace and reactions to be a class player for us. But I think in terms of a rotation option, in terms of a player that brings technical um, prowess and also experience at this point in his career, I think he's an excellent player to have around. Uh, And I'm glad he's still here because the players love him. The fans um, love him. Very select few have a weird addiction to him. I'm talking about you, AJS. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, I love him personally. He's one of the players that, He's been here for a long time now. He's like up there as one of our longest serving players. He's a Frank Ball signing. You know, he, he's uh, yeah. probably the last bastion from that, really. Timothy Fossumensa yeah. has gone to Leverkusen. You know, you think about him and you think about other players that he brought in. It's it's quite funny to see where they will enter that. But yeah, he's he's been part of the furniture, really. He's one of our longest serving players. For well, sure. other than Warden Tompkins, like it might like actually else? be Jairo. It, it might, might actually yeah, be Jairo. No, that's true. Yeah. I feel like we've got to be missing someone. Oh, Schlupp, of course. But... Schlupp, yeah. Yeah, but you know, you, you say that, but we're talking, we're talking, we're not talking many players ahead of him now. Yeah, you know, it's quite funny, but um, no, he's got a role to play, and I, I certainly want to see him come on off the bench for for longer periods. I know that's not in Roy's DNA, frankly, that's not how he mm. likes to play. I think he likes to stay with his best eleven as long as he can get away with it. But I think to freshen up the option, particularly with Hughes, particularly with such a delicate situation at the moment. By the way, notice, but I said I just threw Hughes out there. I think he's been brilliant too, but. You know, like like anyone, I think it's sometimes just good to freshen up the midfield and you don't want to risk losing, say, someone like Hughes, you know. Um, we're so bare bones as it is, and I think we can't afford to lose it, whatever depth we yeah. do have anyway. I suppose where this is all going is uh, what happens next? We've got this run of fixtures coming up. I mean, take us through that and take us where you see maybe the rest of the season going and, and, and where we progress as a club. Well, we've got Forest. You've got Forrest up next, um, which I think will be our last uh, game without with this depleted squad. I think Lerma and Franca may make that, Tompkins as well. 
Um, over the international break, we'll see a couple of behind closed doors games, which we'll see Ferguson, Franca, Lerma, Edward all get back up to speed, maybe even Elise. Um, and I think we should expect to see very strong teams, a very strong team being put out week in, week out after that break, provided we don't have any more injuries. Um, so I think we're just in a bit of a bad spell, um, fueled by bad luck and um, questionable decision making during the transfer window. But once everything comes together, and it will, um, we have a pretty nice run of fixtures in order to um, make use of the squad that we have. We hit a rough spell in terms of teams that we face in December, and winter's always a really crap time to be a fan anyway because it's cold and wet and horrible. So that might be a bit of a point of negativity, I think, just forecasting ahead. I think December will be a rough month to be a Palace fan, but... I think November will be fun. And I think once we're out of the January transfer window, it should be relatively smooth sailing for us. Um, however, I do not like on a personal level how we as fans are kind of being treated for this season. It feels like the board made a lot of mistakes um, over the last eight or so months. Um, and this season is basically a catch-up season and we're kind of being made to pay because we're still going to spend the money going to the pitch, going to sell house, going to away games, traveling, week in, week out, um, for an underwhelming style of football and an underwhelming project. And, you know, these mistakes that get made by people in suits behind doors that we don't have any access to, they have ramifications on the mental health of supporters. And yes, you can say, oh, yeah, sure, don't commit yourself that much to a football club. But it's what people do. Like, football is the lifeblood of this country. It's this country's sport. Um, and you know, when you're a club in the Premier League, you have a responsibility, almost honestly, at any level, you have a responsibility to your fans, but especially a club like Crystal Palace, and especially on the stage that we're in, um, or on rather, it's disappointing to see the um lack of excitement, um, being induced through uh the strategy. And I think this season will be grim compared to next season and seasons that follow. I think there is a lot to look forward to. And I think once the academy hits and once the transfers hit and once everything just comes together and gels, we've got so much to look forward to. But we need to make sure we execute that plan so that it's all worth it. Because otherwise, we're just trapped in this endless loop of, oh, well, next year's the year where we finally kick on. But, oh, no, now we've got injuries. Or, oh, next year's the thing. Oh, but we've lost Elise. Oh, next year's the thing. But now we've lost Eze. Next year's the thing. It was the same thing, you know, next year's the thing. If we can keep Zaha and sign a right back, a goalkeeper and a striker. And then we did none of those positions. And we did, goalkeeper. Will. <laughs> we did a goalkeeper and then he got injured. So. Oh, we haven't touched on Henderson, but um, oh, God. That, that's just horrific luck. I mean, I think the club could have done um, its due diligence with that signing. But, you know, he's a quality keeper and it's another case of in the long run, he'll come good. I have no doubt we've just gotten so unlucky this season. Um, and I don't want to write off a season because if you write off a season as a fan, it's so devastating. Mm. That's my point. It's like this season feels like a write-off. It feels like, well, we're just going for mid-table. We'll say we're top 10. We'll finish 11th. We'll say it was tough because of injuries. And But then I think this summer, it has to be the year. It has to be the year that we do a 2021 style thing because we'll be losing players when their contracts expire, we'll lose Tompkins, we'll, we'll lose Schlupp, we'll probably lose Ayu, although I wouldn't be against renewing him. He has such a you know, place in this team. Ward, I think, will stay. Klein should go. Um, he needs to. He's not 
up to scratch anymore as much as I love him, as much as he's a palace boy through and through. Um, but yeah, I think if we can take the time that we have right now, because we won't invest in January, most likely, because we never do, just take this time to plan out what we're going to do next summer, to plan out what we're going to do after that, get a manager in that's great, get players in that will both replace um, the players that leave and also make the squad better as a whole. We have so much to look forward to because we do have a good project here and we do have the academy, which will come good. And we have the fabled stadium redevelopment. It'll come good. It's just tough as a fan in moments like this where there isn't much excitement or, you know, peaks of adrenaline when you're playing, when you're winning 1-0 week in, week out under Roy Hodgson with no new transfers um, starting. But it'll come. And at the end of this season, I think it'll feel like 2021 again. And maybe this time it'll work out. That's a surprisingly optimistic note from a Palace fan there. Um, no, it's, it's a really good point. I mean, there's a lot going on. So, you know, I, I think it's quite hard as fans sometimes to, to see the bigger picture here. Um, particularly when there's so much noise at the moment. And it's hard to see anything other than the zeitgeist of, of Palace just going one way, which is... You know, the long-term project isn't there. The board are useless. They're not going to do anything. They might well not. Like, that's that's equally possible. But, you know, there is at least a, a, a sort of faint glimmer of hope that something will materialise. You know, this feels so, a bit like Medical Saw or something, where there's like four seasons of filler on the way to something really good. You know, that's where we're at as a club. And I think that's quite hard to endure at times. It makes you lose interest, frankly. Mm. It makes you well, at the end of the day, I think um, the people we look to to spend the money and to make the decisions... Um, well, they want out of this is money, with the exception of Parrish, who is a fan, and he wants results long-term for the club. He wants a legacy. You know, the American owners are here to make a profit. Um, so I think they will spend, because in the long run, it's profitable for them. We'll see sales this this window. And John Texter said it in his interview with The Athletic that people were considering pulling out um, the Crystal Palace Football Club before his investment. Then he put the money in. The club's worth went, you know... Um, can't remember who it was, but someone put out an article, maybe Bloomberg, I can't remember, about us being in the top 20 in the world for club value. It was Bloomberg, um, yeah. That, that right there is my optimism reminder. You know, we've got these little signs popping up here and there that we are a sustainably run club, moving towards, slowly, but towards something better. Like, oh, I, I think, yeah, genuinely, genuinely, I think we can reach European football in the next three years. And I think we'll be doing it in a way that's much more sustainable than Brighton. Uh, and yes, it sucks. My God, it sucks to be part of a slow project team. But I do believe it will pay off because I have that faith because I think we're being run by a fan, which no other team has. They're all being run by a bit like a business at the heart of it. Well, well, Brighton we're have not. a fan. <laughs> so... Brighton <laughs> have a fan, but... Okay, fine. I've lost my point there. Fine. I, uh, <laughs> no, no. I Tony can't even. Bloom is a... I, Tony Bloom's a fan. Um, He's a mega fan. But, yeah. Yeah. And he's done an excellent job. There's no denying it. But I also don't think they're as sustainable as we are. That's where I'll say it because of the loans that the, the, the Brighton owes Tony Bloom like 200 million pounds or whatever it is. There is a substantial amount of financial insecurity at a lot of Premier League clubs, and we're really not one of them. Interesting. Well, I think we have conflict in the boardroom, but I think in terms of what the club is doing financially, I'm not that concerned. I think 
were sustainable yeah. there. I think I think if the money needed to be there, it would be there, wouldn't it? But anyway, I want to just I'll close on one thing because one very public target that was made, and you're right, I think you said this right at the start of the pod, but obviously the club is, and rightfully so, to be honest, quite discreet about what its official strategy is. You know, the sort of stuff you'd see in presentations and board meetings that we just won't see as... Let alone, not just as fans but let alone the media and anyone else you know it's very hard to come by this sort of closely guarded stuff but there is there is going to be a formal document on a sort of shared teams area somewhere that has everything in it um but you know Roy did come out and say that we are targeting a top 10 finish which I think is quite laughable given the depth that we have and the lack of investment to get there but there's at least an element of sustainability in that if we did reach that and of course it's not off the cards yet, not least because we've been playing pretty well, actually, if you look at the grand scheme. Of yeah, we're ninth. We're ninth. And we, we've, we've had a decent run of games. They're, they've not been, you know, it's not been the top six back-to-back, but it's certainly not been an easy one either. We've had really good teams in there, not least, of course, Man United themselves. So do you actually think we'll achieve a top 10 finish this season? Do you think that's obtainable? Or do you think we'll just miss it? If we can sort out our fitness problems um, on the other side of the international break, I actually do, yeah. I think Roy, but, yeah. even if the football isn't that great, um, and even if we're scoring less goals comparative to last season, I think once we have a full-strength side of sorts, um, we'll see more flashy victories akin to Leeds, akin to um, Bournemouth, Southampton. It does make you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does make you think when you, when you sort of think of flashy victories and how many goals to score. But there have been a few over the years. Eze, like, Edward, Mateta, Franca, Elise. Yeah. Um, you know, Abue, Jezza and Raksaki, when they are on their, when they reach that level, we have so many exciting players and we'll see a lot of them leave in the summer. I think we'll see maybe Anderson, maybe Ebbs, maybe Elise. I think two of those three. Mm. But I, I put Gay in there actually as well. I think he's getting a lot of attention, particularly as an England international, but we'll see. I anyway. hope to God not. I've got a painting of him in my bedroom. It's very sad. <laughs> um, well, I think uh, let's not. Let's, we, we sort of ended on a decent note. I don't want to end on gay leaving. Yeah, let's let's, but... let's 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 okay. Let's be positive. Let's say there's something to look forward to, and I think we're a game away from seeing one of the most exciting Palace sides um, we've ever seen in the Premier League. Mm. It, it won't take long to coalesce we know that at some point particularly in the, in the wider picture of things this is probably the most successful time we've ever had and not just in terms of our history and the other stuff around it I'm not talking about the kind of Yadar argument of you weren't there 40 years ago when we were almost liquidated blah 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 that's valid but it's not you know we are allowed to have ambition as fans but I will say yeah. that even if we just take away the grand picture and we just look at what's going on on the pitch, we have two of the best centre-halves we've ever had in our history playing together. We have some of the most exciting attacking flair players we've had ever. And that's without Wilf, you know. We still yeah. have Eze Elise. Hopefully, Fernando comes good. You know, we have these players all around us. There's a lot to look forward to. And if we can just make that final push of bravery, which I don't know that the board has in them right now, maybe one day, maybe in a year or two, maybe, but not right now. But nonetheless, there is such a good foundation here and i cannot wait to see if that actually materializes in the way that it could um yeah. on that note i will wrap it up thank you very much Bruno. i think you made some really insightful points today and really given me food for thought i'm sure the listeners will agree um if you're not already following us on twitter make sure you do so it's at the palace way we also have a website bruno give us the url it's just the palaceway.com nice and simple so you can't forget it um we're actually working on overhauling the site which i think is probably news that i'm not sure if i'm even allowed to share bruno but i'm doing it uh, you can do it. Um, yep. We've got updates coming to Wardle, uh, or Joel Wardle, as I like to call it, or Crystal Palace version of Wordle. 
we've got some pretty awesome features on the way um, that'll allow a lot more interaction on the site. Um, things such as comments um, on our articles and as well as places to discuss hot topics. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to. Uh, we'll be announcing it on our Twitter. So stay tuned um, to both the website and Twitter to find out what we've got planned. Yeah, and I, I will speak personally because I'm not Bruno. Bruno has single-handedly rebuilt what is a very, very sexy website. It's, it looks amazing, let alone feels amazing as a user. I mean, if you're talking from a UX perspective, which is really neaty now, it's it's genuinely brilliant. It's so up-to-date, it's so modern, it's clean, it's visually appealing, it's, it's amazing. I cannot wait to share this with you guys as fans and listeners. So, you know, we really want to interlink this with the site and, and use the site to take it to the next level. So um, keep an eye out for that. The next level. Think, oh, yeah, the next level. Except this time we'll actually deliver on it. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, now again, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you can leave a review, that'd be brilliant. You can say whatever you want. Frankly, even if you give us one star, it's appreciated because we want any and all feedback. We already listen to it and incorporate it into the sorts of stuff we talk about, and and we've already even in this episode taken some of it on board and. You know, it really helps us improve. It helps us engage with you guys and see how you're all feeling. So if you could leave us a review and check out our socials, that would be appreciated. But for now, it's goodbye from me and from you, Bruno. See you next time. Thank you very much, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.